when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's Austin Walker. It is October 24th, 2016. You're, you're back in the bunker, and uh, I'm happy to, to say we have a new member of Waypoint. Yeah. Danielle Riendo is joining us here in the bunker. Yeah. And as always, Patrick Klepik is... is I almost said phoning it in, which is not the good. Wow. That's not, that's Great. not it. Wow. I'm really going down on the Phoning pecking order. Right Thanks, in. Daniel. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I, I feel like Patrick. It's uh, it's been a great couple of weeks, great couple of months with you, and uh, you know, just moving uh, on. I, I hope you know if that happens, it just means your website is cursed. Like I have, I have a long legacy <laughs> of ash that it's I leave true. behind. Oh, so no. be it's... careful what you wish for, Austin Walker. <laughs> so this is a big week, not only because Danielle is joining us, but because like this is our launch week. This is the last podcast we will record before waypoint.vice.com is a real thing that you could go to on your internet. You also go to waypoint.zone or someone... <laughs> zone.zone? Some, I don't know if anyone bought us zone.zone yet, but somebody bought us bazinga.zone. Oh my God, bazinga.zone. I, I'm... Ugh. I'm beside myself with the naming happiness. <sighs> no, I, I'm right now. Zone dot zone does not seem to go to to our content to our I, hashtag content. I just content. checked that website too. I right, <laughs> checked that at the same time. Good. good. Maybe that's maybe we hit it with the DDoS. Maybe we hit too much. Uh, that's what it was. Time. That's what it was. If you can hear us, who knows? Like I, I don't know. The internet has been <laughs> under constant attack. Well, we're in a bunker, that's so right. we wouldn't know anyway. That's you know, there's a whole world up there, and we're just like, well, we've got our condensed soup for the last, you know, 15 years. That's we're going to be okay. We'll be we'll all be right. We'll be uh, fine. Live from the bunker forever. <laughs> there's I mean, a, there's straight up stopped me from doing my job on Friday. Like, I, mean, I just oh. stopped and started playing Dark Souls because I literally couldn't do anything. <laughs> totally. <laughs> which, which is a shame because then you had to play Dark Souls where also you had to keep fighting that boss that was killing you. It's also your job. Yeah. Oh, hey, okay, yeah. good. Time to check on your fucking homework, Patrick. Patrick. Wow. Wow. Did you beat that boss? I don't know. Did you learn how to say people's last names yet, Austin? You're Danica, being very aggressive this morning. Her- Herod. Her name is Danica Herod, like and she's our great... Store. So- yep, right, yep. department store. Yep. And she's our great social editor. Hi, Danica. You, you paused. You paused before you said her last name. I did. But that was because I wanted to make sure I got it right. You know, measure <laughs> measure twice, cut once. That's correct. With people's names. With people. Uh, also. With people. I, I, did, I did have two pieces of homework. One of which I probably just shouldn't say anything about. I don't want to jinx anything for our, our stream. But the first one I did take care of. I did find it in a box in my in my oh, house. And I, yes. will, I will find that and I will bring it with. Okay. And we'll see to, if it works. New York. Uh, we'll see if it works. I don't have the equipment to see if it works, but we'll find out uh, in, in New York. Tune into uh, twitch.tv slash waypoint this weekend to find out what the hell we're talking about. Exactly. Um, or not. If it's broken. Well, if it's broken, I'll still, we'll still talk about it. It'll yeah. be fine. Uh, I did. I beat, I beat this boss in Dark Souls, and I finished that DLC. And uh, I'm proud of myself, but also that DLC is not very good. So, mm. uh, is that it? it? Uh, is there more DLC coming, or is that it? 
There is. So uh, weirdly, uh, or maybe not weirdly, but you know, they segmented this DLC. Uh, so there's two coming out. There's one that, you know this fall, and there's one coming uh, early next year. Uh, with Bloodborne, uh, they delayed the DLC and then just smashed the two of them together so that it felt. Um, substantial and they're not doing this with dark souls 3 they're uh segmenting it out um you know in all likelihood so they can get something out this year uh, right. rather than waiting for both to come out next year but uh consequently this feels very light uh that's you know i probably spent maybe three hours on this one boss uh that i you know i'm planning to write about it and i'll get into the mechanics of it in a, in a piece so that people can kind of avoid it if they don't uh want <laughs> mm-hmm. to know sort of the trick to it because there is sort of a trick that's uh interesting but i guess i'll describe it in the vaguest terms as endurance uh, hmm. In order to to overcome it, and that was really a lot of uh, it puts a lot of your skills to the test in a Dark Souls game. Of uh, you cannot fumble your way through this this boss. You have to have a, a deep memorization of a lot of what's going on in order to have any chance of making it to the end, um, which is true a lot of the time for Dark Souls, but not to the extreme that this boss demands. Often you you often you can fumble your way a little bit through a Dark Souls boss if you just kind of spam the R1 button. Right. And it's just not going to happen uh, here. But yeah, this this new wintry area is sparse. It's very difficult, uh, which I guess is fine and, and made it a little bit distinctive. But, but otherwise, you know, you... If you don't have as much trouble with, with the boss as I did, uh, it's very easily that you could finish this in about two hours. Um, okay. Uh, and there are only two bosses, one of which is optional, and it's so optional that I've had to confer and look up YouTube videos in order <laughs> how to find it. Oh, my God. Um, and it just feels like it should be more – It's. I'll say this. The path to finding it will be obvious to people – who play the game when it's live because people are going to point to how okay. the trick, you know, the yep. way the, the path there. But if you were playing it like I did in offline mode, because I had a patch that was available ahead of everyone else playing the game, it's not obvious. And in fact, I had like, once I had told some other folks that were playing it ahead of time, uh, that there's a second optional boss, I had to explain to them how to get there. And that's probably a bad sign for, yeah. Uh, a piece of, you know, this DLC in context of the whole game, it's not a big deal, but this DLC in context of coming six months after the game's release date and people are hungry to play more Dark yeah. Souls, it's not, it's frustrating when you you cannot guarantee you will find all the stuff that you want to encounter. Is it tough to get into the DLC in the way that Dark Souls DLC sometimes is? Like, literally to find where it is? I mean, uh, if you... If you weren't to look it up, I guess it would be kind of frustrating because you essentially would just be jumping between warp points. Hopefully uh-huh. you, you would stumble across the DLC uh, NPC that triggers everything. I mean, this is in, in a long line of tradition uh, with right. uh, uh, all the Souls games and, and Bloodborne in which uh, the DLC is not something... You purchase it, and then the game doesn't pop up with a menu that says, <laughs> do you want to play the DLC? Just, or There it is. It's just in the world. It's somewhere in there. Yeah. It is literally just hidden away in the world somewhere and uh you have to find it and for some people that is a that is attractive yep and i totally understand that but it's also why uh alongside any of these dlc uh announcements um you'll see articles that are like how to get to the dlc and this is literally the only game that that exists for like no other game makes it difficult to find the stuff you paid for (laughs) (laughs) yeah because like normally the way you get to your dlc is like you go to the PlayStation Network and you give it twelve bucks, and then oh, there's my got it, got the DLC. You just open it right up. Totally. Little little gift. Yeah. Anything else? Have you been Have you been playing, Patrick? Kind you of hit briefly? plucking away at, at the new Battlefield, but uh, uh, you know, I think what's the, 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 
it's, it seems like a fairly like okay campaign, but I'll say, you know, I, I admire that Dice is trying to uh, do some interesting things with it. I, I just started playing a mission this morning uh, where I think the framing is interesting for a lot of what they're doing. You know, there's been a lot of written about the the tutorial to the game already where they um, they take the fact that, you know, lots of uh, soldiers uh, died uh, exceptionally quickly in World War One. As a way of like every time you die, you move on to a next tutorial section mm-hmm. and there is sort of a uh, it lists their name and, and when they died um, as sort of a way of humanizing, you know, this this war that they're they're kind of knowingly hyperbolizing. Uh, and this uh, this mission that I, I just started this morning uh, takes place on uh, the uh, involving uh, uh, Italy. And uh, it's the, the, the mission opens with um, this father. Uh, looking at old photos of hmm. his time in the war and his daughter coming up and asking questions about it. And huh. the way then it's, it's the mission is narrated by the father explaining to his daughter what he's doing as you're doing those actions. Oh, that's interesting. In the game. It feels like that, that game is filled with these like vignettes that are like a bunch of different types of frame stories, which is an interesting way of of delivering a kind of war story. Yeah, like there, there's one that I just finished that has an unreliable narrator. Um, huh. So it's it's there there it is trying to do interesting things. It is not uh, the most amazing like the actual like moment to moment campaign stuff of it is uh, not as interesting as the framing. But it is trying to do stuff with the framing that I think is is noteworthy and interesting. I really wish that Star Wars Battlefront had had something like that. In that like it, even if it wasn't. Like, I, I don't need necessarily a huge, sprawling campaign that has, like, an epic singular storyline. But, like, give me these little snapshots of what's happening in, in the world. And, like, that can be really evocative and yeah, cool. Yeah, a hook. Yeah. You're interested. Yeah, I, I had the same problem with, with Star Wars Battlefront. It was like, yeah, there's a, there's a cool battle. And it's Star Wars. And it's, yeah. But Love I don't know why I'm doing it. Love them you know. stormtroopers. Yeah, exactly. I'm shooting them. Yeah. Cool. So it's, it's interesting you bring that up, Patrick, because I actually played... Um, Something this weekend that was not a video game, but but that was similar in trying to handle a, a really like trouble, not troubling, but difficult um, topic with with surprising grace. And and I, it actually shouldn't be that surprising because it's actually an old game and it's it's a tabletop role playing game. I'm going to tell you guys oh about a, about an RPG, oh about good. a role playing game with dice. Uh, I actually so I, I was got to be part of a thing called Role Play R O L L Play, uh, which is a Twitch <laughs> channel and a YouTube channel. Um, a couple of, of people who I really respect, um, this guy, uh, JP and, and Adam Coble. Uh, oh, yeah, JP's great. JP's great. Adam's great. Um, they uh, are people who I look up to a lot. Uh, also joining us on that were uh, Matthew Mercer, who you might know as the voice of McCree. Uh, he's also the voice of the main dude in um, Titanfall 2, coming out later this week. Excellent. Uh, and then and then Taika Brahe was on that stream, which I did not, which was, uh, he did very well. We, had, we got along Good. really well, Good. is what I'll say. Um, <laughs> and we played a game called Dogs in the Vineyard. Um, which is, which came out in 2004. It was by a, a guy named Vincent Baker who has kind of twice deeply impacted the tabletop role-playing game scene. So, like, when I say tabletop role-playing game, the thing I think that goes into most people's minds is, like, D&D, and you think, like, okay, I'm going to get a plus-one sword, and I'm going to kill an orc better because I have that plus-one sword. <laughs> um, and it's, like, maps that are, like, carefully drawn out, and you're exploring dungeons. Um, and... Dogs in the Vineyard came out 12 years ago and was one of the first big steps into blowing that up. That and some other games like Burning Wheel. Um, Dogs in the Vineyard has the most like unique setting I've ever played like, in a game probably. In that, one, the setting isn't firm. Um, the setting is like 
kind of open to interpretation and you can kind of push it and pull on it as you will. And in 2004, that was kind of a rare thing. Or 2000, yeah, 2004. Jesus. Um, and I'll just read the introduction to this game and like you'll see why this is weird. Yeah. Dogs in the Vineyard is about God's watchdogs, young men and women called to preserve the faithful in a hostile frontier territory. I'm dipping into my, like, southern voice oh, by I mistake. Oh, I love it. This is great. Not, they travel, I'm just going to do it in this voice. Get do ready. Do it. Do it up. They travel from town to isolated town, carrying mail, news, and doctrine, healing the sick, supporting the weary, and pronouncing judgment on, on the wicked. One early playtester said what she loves about the game. A town welcomes you with celebration and honor, but what you're there to do is stir up dirt and lay bare its sins. The setting is a fantasy inspired by pre-statehood Utah, the Deseret Territory in the early mid-19th century. Picture a landscape of high mountains, icy rivers, and cedar woods, falling away westward into scrublands, deserts, buttes, and swells. The summer skies are heartbreaking. The winters are long and killing. You're basically like it's unspoken that you're Mormon, but it's like vaguely you're Mormon. You're probably Mormon. You're, yeah. It's, 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 but it's like fantasy Mormon. It's like, it's like it, it stays away from specifics so that when you're dealing with the very difficult things of like, oh, you're basically a paladin of God who is like being sent into these Western towns to like figure out who's cheating on who and who is stealing <laughs> money from the church. Like it isn't throwing too much shade, but it still is grounded enough to be like, Oh, and the relationship with the natives is a little stretched thin, uh, and yeah. it like digs into that a little bit. Um, and the thing that's so incredible is like all of the the encounters and all of the the things that you actually roll dice for are you know obviously you can get into gunfights and like that's kind of a big deal. It's like you're the people who have guns, and that gives you a great deal of authority on top of the religious authority you have. Um, but also just like the stakes tend to be like I'm trying to convince you to to tell me that your cousin is up to some shit. <sighs> and even though that's what the scene is, it ends up having the drama of like an HBO original series or something because you like roll dice and your opponent rolls dice and then you kind of like bet the dice against each other almost like it's poker or something and it it was just like a really fantastic experience and it's a game I've wanted to play for a long time Um, so so that's going to go up somewhere on the internet check my Twitter Dogs in the Vineyard Dogs in the Vineyard is the name of the tabletop game it's it's, again it's like for people who who follow tabletop games closely this shouldn't be news but it's one of those things that's like oh right this exists If if you if all you thought of tabletop games was D&D or even like Vampire the Masquerade or something like, oh, there's this huge world of independent tabletop games that I hope to actually give some coverage to over the next year or two for sure. So that was my like big... sounds amazing. Uh, And other than that, I played like the opposite thing, which was uh, Mini Metro on (laughs) iOS, which has been out on PC for a while. Yeah. And it's just like, it's getting to where I'm seeing lines in my sleep um, it's a game where you build up uh, subway, lines. subway lines, basically, yeah. or, or or you can have trains or whatever, depending on what city you're in. And it's a, like almost like the the kind of um, transportation problems of a game like SimCity or um, City Skylines, um, except boiled down into a really abstract format where you're just kind of connecting circles to squares to triangles. And the people in the circles need to get to the squares and the triangles. And you have limited resources in terms of how many trains you have and how many bridges or tunnels you have. So getting across waterways is really tough. And it's just like super good. It's su- it's super good and it just sounds good. So check that out for sure. Danielle, yeah. have you been playing oh any my video games? God, I have been playing so much Mafia 3. It's really? like ridiculous. That's what I'm seeing when I close my eyes. I'm mm. seeing like those roads, the bayous with the yeah, trees, trees kind of going by. And those like pinkish, the pinkish sunlight. Yeah. God, that pinkish sunlight. I definitely, uh, I spent some time just running in the bayou. I'm really weird. 
Like when I play an open world game. Uh-huh. So, so like, this going? keep going. Yeah, so, exactly. Okay, I'm a runner in real life. And the way I like to explore places in real life is on my feet. I like mm. to run and explore a new place. I also kind of do this in open world games, too. I did this in The Witcher. I did this in one of those Saints Row games. It's for like, like you four. eschew the use of horses or cars in open Not world Not entirely, games. but for like a day. I definitely will. And I'll be huh. like, hey, where can I go on foot? Where can I like run? And I was like, I'm just Lincoln Clay running in the bayou. This was a that way might... of experiencing this game, what? I guess. And maybe a mistake because that bayou was filled with alligators. Yeah. I learned that one the hard way. I died a few times. I got a little chomped on. And Poor then I kind of got my rhythm right. You know, I, I sort of did the thing where, uh, you know, I was like, okay. Swim slow, swim slow, swim slow. And then, like, speed right up, right, right when that alligator's, like, going for the chomp. So I got good nice. at that. Nice. Yeah, there's a whole metagame going so on So how far into it are you, or have you basically spent all of your time exploring the bio? Uh, I am probably... 60% okay. of the way through the game. Because cool. I've been playing a lot. Of, you know, I've been playing a lot. And I've also been, you know, totally just screwing around a lot. Right. And just running in the bayou. <laughs> and also just looking for every Playboy and every, you know, painting and all yeah. that other yeah. goofy stuff. Yeah, what do you think about those collectibles, actually? Because, uh, like, the, for people who are listening, there are there are collectibles in this game. There, there have been collectibles in every um, Mafia game. Yeah. And one of the ones that's been long-running, my understanding, is is the Playboys. That, yes. Like, spread throughout the open world, there are Playboys. There's a lot of Playboy. There are a lot. Um, yeah. There are also in this, there are also like Hot Rod magazines, yes. um, Vargas paintings. And which communist are, propaganda. Yes, which, well. which which felt, that's the one that feel, feels a little shoved in there. Oh, like, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> we get it, Red Scare, like, but it, it just doesn't feel super legit to just have a ton of straight up Soviet propaganda yeah. pasted on. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe New Orleans in the 1960s was just like, you know, uh, there was just straight up like, yo, come to Russia <laughs> painted yeah. on the walls but I don't know yeah it seems a little weird like oh I, I have my little sort of like shanty house in the bayou and, and you know what I'm going hard for <laughs> yeah it, yeah it's communism Sputnik so. <laughs> yeah Sputnik love, love that Sputnik exactly love the spot. exactly I'm really Ugh. loving the game no don't ever say that <laughs> I love that spot Just, come on okay, name I'm of the sorry. podcast nope. yeah. I, know, I know this is marked as explicit on iTunes but you're gonna get us kicked <laughs> off Love your spot. Oh my oh, god. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Don't but, you? But so what do you think about like the the Playboys and the Vargas stuff and like Yeah, you know, it's fine. Like it's giving me an excuse to run around even for, like I needed right. an excuse. I like I love to like see the little vignettes and like the little things they put together. I'm the person who like likes to sidle up to all the little people and mm-hmm. hear their little conversations and things like that. So I love that kind of detail and it just sort of gives me an excuse to do it. But mm-hmm. it's you know there's a whole lot of Playboy in there, and like it's it's fine. I mean, they're not like even the real covers. I don't think like they're they're Are they sort not of like the real covers. I mean, I keep seeing the same sort of thing over and huh. over again. So maybe I've just been collecting too much Playboy. Uh, maybe. That's the real problem maybe. here. <laughs> uh, the thing that I actually, the one thing I actually like about the Playboys in this, and I think this is a change from Mafia 2, is that there are a number of them that come with articles now. And the oh, articles, really? Yeah. Like, so if you flip through them, because um, you can flip, you can open them up, and it's like, oh, it's whoever the model of the month is. And then I'd say like a tenth of them, maybe more than that, have like, oh, and an interview with Stanley Kubrick. Sure, An interview yeah. with Timothy Leary. And like full, like 12, 13 excited. page. Yeah. yeah. You should go home and look through those Playboys. You <laughs> should like, really do that. There are actually yeah. some things in there that are like, oh, wow, like you understand, you understood that like maybe just putting up the naked ladies was like not using this archive to its fullest yeah. potential. Yes. Like in terms of like trying to make the space feel like like the time, right? Um, 
I mean, particularly in the 60s, like, that's where a lot of writers of color actually totally. had their place and, like, actually did wonderful journalism. Totally. So, yeah, that's, um, that's and every a cool now, nod. And yeah. every now and then there are also uh, issues that have, like, oh, it's this model naked. And then, like, the next two pages, like, oh, and it's her, like, just doing stuff in her daily life. Yeah. Like, and it's just cool to see that fashion. And, like, there was one where it's a woman who's, like, the the note under her it was her in a phone booth just like making a call um fully clothed and then underneath <laughs> it was like she's a she's a phone addict she whenever she sees a phone she stops what she's doing and makes a call and like wow. I have to be like what is okay like was that a thing were there people who is that the equivalent of like taking a, a, a instant like being addicted to Instagram or something yeah. like what is it at that time where you were like oh there's a phone booth I have to call somebody let them know that I'm in wherever you know and like not, a postcard thing right or like a postcard. yeah 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 Exactly. So that was that was neat. That's pretty cool. What do you think generally of Mafia? Theory? I'm in love with it. Okay. I, wow. It's probably That's a strong. I know. I know. It's probably my shoe in for Goaty at Jeez. this point. Yeah. Okay. I, I just okay. love it. Man. Okay. This is so good. Like I definitely agree that there are weaknesses to of this course. game. Like yeah, there's way too much filler. Like the fact that I'm. Complete, you know, all all the sort of little tiny side missions that you're doing to sort of make your associates happy. Those are all kind of samey, and yeah, everybody's kind of the, saying the same thing about that stuff, uh, which is a little bit, a, a little boring, a little rote. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I love the world, I love the character, I love the writing, I love that it, it's finally a AAA game that's attempting to say something. Right. Whether it says it completely successfully or not is, you know, that's up for debate. But I just like, love not, that there's not something there. Ducking. Yes. Anything. There, there was this great um, uh, conversation over on Game Informer uh, in which uh, JV Gwaltney. 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 There you I go. called him Gunwalt once. So oh, that's a good I, name. I had though. to actually JV really learn. Gunwalt. That's actually my dogs in the vineyard <laughs> character. That's JV my JV Gunwalt. Um, yeah. <laughs> they had a really great conversation about how like this game might be more influential than it is good. That like sure. three years from now, the hope is you have some AAA developers who are like. Yeah, yeah, like, I can make the case now to my bosses that we should take a, make a game that's actually about X, Y, or Z instead of being an, about an analog to X, Y, yes. or Z. Yes, yes. Um, the other thing that I saw on Twitter this weekend was was Steve Gaynor doing two things. <laughs> first, first, uploading these, like, really great 15 to 20 second clips of Lincoln Clay just being a badass killer. Just, like, <laughs> sure. rolling into a place, kicking down the door, like, ducking behind cover in the best way, and then, like, popping up with a revolver. And just, like, the game is really good at expression. In, in expression through combat in that way. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing he did was, and and I should have seen this coming from a mile away, <laughs> was he compared it to Far Cry 2. Of course he did. Um, he said, more than any other game that's come out since, Mafia 3 reminds me of, very whisper voice, Far Cry 2. <sighs> and it took me a bit to like dig into that, but I think I see it. Uh, yeah. And... and for that reason, I'll have to start giving it some real consideration in, uh, in, yeah. in what we're, when we talk about the end of the year. I don't know. The thing that sets it apart, I think, is that it is set in a very specific time and place. Yeah. And there are so few games that do that. And I think Far Cry 2 did that so incredibly well. It actually really embodied. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
you sort yeah. of in that time and place. Uh, the only other thing I will say about it is it's just, God, it's just fun and it's just cool. And it's just awesome to be playing a game that is both fun and also like trying to make a stand for something, yeah. but is also a video game ass video game. Yep. There's something great about that and it's something super rare and oh, I'm really liking it. So I, I go back and forth about that a lot. Like I, Sometimes I come from a space that's like a little radical in thinking, maybe I don't think this as much as I used to, but there was a time when I was like, fuck trying to make AAA stuff leftist or politicized or <laughs> radical or like that's not, the form is never going to allow for that. The, the you know, big business is always going to get in the way of actually saying anything meaningful or having any effect. What we really need is indie games or not even indie games. I would eschew at the time I would have eschewed ever saying the One words indie games. One person studios. Right, exactly. Yes. Indi- I would have said independent games. Completely independent. Um, or alt games or whatever that actually tackle stuff that come from marginalized backgrounds, etc. Uh, but it, it it's difficult to actually then see something like Mafia 3. It's not difficult. It's like, oh, seeing it happen yeah. does like scratch an itch a little bit. Or like seeing it happen does remind me that maybe there is a space for uh, big budget uh, media to weigh into something like this and, and actually feel, you know, not legitimate, not just legitimate, but like feel intentional and, and yes. weighty. Like, again, I, uh, speaking to Charles Webb, seeing some of the stuff that's in that game, it's like, oh, no one needed them to write this game this way, uh, yeah. and and they did. So I kind of want to. It's definitely shaking some of my 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 more outsidery perspectives. There's I think. great value in the mainstream, and I, I always kind of put it in the way of like, okay, every kid is exposed to right. more mainstream things, and and kids growing up who might need something that shows a different perspective may not have a, a clue about some tiny indie designer right. or some tiny one person alt game maker, but they'll see the poster for this. And, right. You know, not necessarily specifically this, but, you know, that general idea about mainstream having actual value. And, totally. Yeah. Well, and what's, what's also, you know, difficult is that you have to look at this in much a much longer time spectrum, right? Mm, so yeah. it's like the, the alt game scene, you know, indie games, like however you want to uh, speak towards the stuff that is non-AAA. Um, that stuff is developed and reacts a lot faster yeah. to one another in a way that is just impossible on the scale of AAA, right? So like Mafia 3 is probably in development for three, four years at least. And so any effect that it has will be largely meaningless on games that are already in development or that right. impact will be uh, minimal relative to, let's say, a game that decides to tackle or is influenced by similar subjects that is just going into pre-production now right. or a year sure. from now, that game sure. comes out four years from now. So it's like the, you ha- it's, I think the frustration that people have with these games is, is totally understandable, but that it's also, you have to be slightly sympathetic to just the scale of time that they work on. And so it's like Mafia 3 could have an enormous impact, but that it either won't be obvious until it's 10 years in retrospect, or it won't be until a game that is just talked about now that gets the approval to go through pre-production now <laughs> yeah. because Mafia 3 did well, but we won't see anything about yes. that for years to come. Yeah, we as consumers, I think, have a, a, a very specific like consumption timescale in, in place. It's like like even faster than indie game development, even faster than you know anything else. Like everything else takes time. Even sports, like a season of sports, yeah. takes a long time. But you can watch, uh, a, so you could follow uh, an entire season of sports of one team. Uh, in a day or two, right? Like you, oh, I want to see what the Eagles did in the year 1992. I can watch that whole thing, or I can watch an NFL Films documentary on it very quickly. Um, or you could do the same thing with a TV show, or like you think about like a Netflix show. It's like you burn through it super yeah. quick. Uh, so it is. It is really weird to that. That can produce a certain expectation, I think, of of like, oh, 
or it's not even about producing an expectation. I think it's actually more natural than that. I don't want to demean that necessarily. Like, oh, when you see stuff, when you play stuff, when you read stuff, it affects what you want from other things. Uh, and uh, it turns out things take a while to make. Yeah. So it's 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 one of the reasons I like writing so much is that I could write a thing today and I could read something tomorrow that makes me think completely differently about it. I could read a counter argument. I could read someone who adds to it and then write a new thing by the end of the week. Um, and that's really great and, and reactive in a way that I that I value. So <sighs> speaking of reacting to things, it sounds like the uh, the uh, the old strike is on. Oh, yeah. The SAG after strike. Is, is happening. There's a picket line today. Yeah, the first one's today. Um, where, do you, where can people find out more information about that, Patrick? Well, well if you want to monitor sort of the uh, a lot of the voice actors and folks that are kind of like weighing in on it, um, there's a hashtag called Performance Matters, uh, which is where you can probably see, uh, I was looking at it a little bit this morning, so you've got different voice actors kind of across the spectrum sort of weighing in, whether they're directly affected by this or are sort of in solidarity with uh, the folks that are um, uh, striking. Um, and so you can follow that if you want to get sort of a, a better sense of like at the heart of what's what's happening. Right. Uh, I imagine that that hashtag will uh, give you uh, a really good sense of that I wouldn't be surprised if there was some coverage of that uh, strike uh, happening today um, that, that might provide a little more uh, uh, perspective. And there's just been kind of uh, articles have been written around it. Uh, like I've known this was a thing. Um, uh, I'd heard about it in the past, but actually our one of our sister sites, Motherboard, yeah. uh, did an interview um, with one of the voice actors from Fallout 4 uh, who played Kellogg, one of the, the first <laughs> villains that you kind of run into yeah. uh, in that game. And you know, he recorded his part without knowing the game he was working on. Huh. Um, so like he, you know, contributed greatly to Fallout 4 and didn't know he was part of Fallout 4 because Bethesda was trying to keep that uh, under wraps. Right. And, you know, one of the arguments I think uh, I've seen about why that's a problem and one of the things that the voice actors are asking for is more clarity on the projects they're working for uh, is that, you know, if you knew you were working on Fallout 4... The, what? what you might sh- what you might charge would be a little bit different than like a tiny indie right. project that you think they wouldn't be able to afford more, and so you can see Bethesda's uh, argument, right? Like I, th- I think that you can understand why they, you know, the video game industry is notoriously secretive. I think far too much yep. so to sure. a degree that is w- very unnecessary for a game called Fallout Four. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, uh, people know that game's coming. You don't have to, you know. Uh, well, but, and, uh, and it doesn't even like. There are going to be voice actors who know it's Fallout 4. There are going mm-hmm. to be voice actors who are like, oh, uh, I'm talking about Vault 93. And if they want to be, if they're the type of people who are tuned in, they'll know. And so those people sign NDAs and say like, hey, everybody must sign an NDA about about the stuff. Uh, and so it ends up for me being, I don't know, it feels so punitive and so restrictive um, t- t- because think about if this was happening in the movie industry. If like you were signed on by Disney to record voiceover dialogue for something, and then you found out later that it was the new Star Wars movie. Yeah, I'm like, well, if I had fucking known that, like, <laughs> guess what? Like, that contract wouldn't have been good enough. Like, we, I know that would be a big budget thing. I know I'd be contributing to something that's going to bring in a bank. Like, I, I would have negotiated around that, or, or I would have been really excited to to go do that. Like, that would have, I would have prioritized that. Like, whatever. So, it's it's one of those things that only makes sense in this world where everything is a secret. Like where video in video games that have a heritage going back to a time when in Japan, obviously, real names of people weren't even used in the in the game credits, right? Like, it's it's such a strange industry we're in. Yeah, I've never I've never quite been able to wrap my head around that part of it. Like, you know, I, I it just 
especially for sequels that are obvious, right? right? You know, like there's there's certainly something to be said about being secretive for something that is that is new or surprising, uh, in which that may be part of the promotional effort is, is that surprise. And but this idea that you know tiptoeing around the fact that they're going to make another Fallout. I mean, I, I feel like maybe Bethesda learned something from that because then they've they've already announced that the next Elder Scrolls is coming, and that's right. the game they're working on. Right. And it's like no shit, you are. Yeah. And, of course. And, and so just say that. And then you lose, uh, you know, you just drop this pretense that you're not making the game that everyone knows you're making. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and don't, don't all these artists have to sign NDAs anyway if they're yeah, working yeah. on something? Like, th- they know the lines. They know the content of the story. It's kind of like, hey, you know, your argument kind of falls flat under that. And at that point, it does you just know. feel like a way to have a, a head up in negotiation. Yeah. You know, so I, it's a messy thing, and I'm very curious to see how all this shakes out. Um, and to see how things are affected, you know, something like a quarter of games or something have voice actors who are in the union. So I don't know that we'll see a huge change in what's coming out. Um, but we might go back to the days where it was like the programmer, you know, <laughs> was, was like, you know, yeah. Ed, you know, Ed has an interesting voice. <laughs> uh, put him in the voice booth, you know, like I, I wonder if we're going to if this goes on long enough, if we're going to yeah. see something like the that, thing is know? that like so projects already under. Projects that were already undertaken will continue and will f- be finished, and then it feels like there's like going to be unless this goes on for years, it feels like voice actors could once there's negotiation or once there's a, a, a an agreement reached could then go into the VO booth and finish or do new work. Sure, you know, like, sure, that makes sense because of what we were just talking about, which is the long timelines on game production, <laughs> right? That like by the time Mafia Four is done, by the time the new Elder Scrolls is done, or whatever, like. I bet this this contract we'll negotiation probably stuff is be over, figured out right? by that. Yeah, but maybe not. We'll see. I, we'll I see. want Ed in there anyway. Yeah. Shout outs to Ed, <laughs> the programmer. Ed in programming. Ed with a good voice. Yeah. Hey, Ed really believes that uh, performance matters. Yeah, <laughs> he does. It's he true. sure does. <laughs> uh, anything else happening over the weekend in terms of news and stuff? Uh, there's a little bit of you know people are really picking apart that Nintendo Switch trailer, uh, trying to figure out uh, what else is hidden in there. Um, there seems to be some sort of weird brouhaha this morning Ooh. about Nintendo confirming that the footage on all the screens is not was not in real time that was added in post. Yeah, dog, that's which is, how videos. Yeah, which, that's how. Th- that's, <laughs> that's how they make yeah, that's not like that's not something you should hold against Nintendo. And also because it was a top secret project my guess is they were trying to limit whatever information the people who are a part of those production you know i mean yeah. just stop it that's not a story that's not that's not nintendo's a weird company but that's not something that's weird that's just how <laughs> there's so works. much to get upset about in 2016 yeah there's there's so sure much. is there's so there much sure is. <laughs> god damn anyway uh, well, uh, but they, they people have picked apart that trailer to find. Uh, it does look like, uh, you know, the, the question has been whether it's going to have a touchscreen. Uh, right. Which would be, you know, uh, Mario Maker is probably one of the most interesting games that Nintendo's made in the past 10 years. And it would be awfully tragic if they lost the ability to. You can't make that game without a touchscreen. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. Um, or the version you make of it is not great. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I think there's been this hope that not only would there be another Mario Maker, but that it might open up this whole door to Nintendo doing a sort of a, a line of those uh, games. And it sounds like uh, if you look at the trailer, it appears that there is a spot for a stylus. Nintendo has also mm. said that there are features about the machine that have not been announced. Um, and then uh, Laura Kate Dale, uh, who has been one of the more regular um, gaming reporters who uh, her you know, based on what's been announced, her track record looks pretty great mm-hmm. uh, on uh, what she has talked about uh, with that machine uh, ahead of uh, release based on her sources. And she put something out over, I think it was over the weekend, uh, saying that, um, so with the Nintendo Switch, part of what makes it work is that how it operates 
removed from the base has to be the same as uh, how it operates on the base. Huh. So that's one reason why people thought maybe it wouldn't have a touchscreen because how would that right. work? Um, right. And now it sounds like the breakaway controllers have IR sensors. And oh. so the reason the Nintendo Switch faces forward in all the promotional material is that when it faces forward, you're going to be able to use those breakaway controllers and use that as a pointer, which would allow you to still select things in a touch-based game if it required Boy, that, that seems like a tough way to put a level in Mario Maker. Though. Yeah. Yeah, but it's at least allows it to work. Fu- you know, it at may not point. be the ideal way yeah, to do it, yeah. but it allows them to skirt around this idea that you can't technically play the games um, because they're not multi-touch, you know, devices. So right. it's, you know, you're not like pinching and zooming. It is it is pointing and clicking and dragging. So yes, you wouldn't want to make a Mario Maker level that way, but it would allow them to make Mario Maker two and not uh, sort of like deeply compromise it because the touchscreen is so integral to how. Uh, you make that stuff. So the IR stuff is not announced, but it, it, certainly Laura seems to have a great uh, track record, and that seems to line up with what they would probably I, Here's do. a question. Is there any precedent in... I There is precedent. I guess the precedent is the Wii. Like, could they make the Switch ship such that it could that it could pair with a Wii U gamepad? Uh, mm, I think... That, mm, I don't think the Wii U gamepad operates over Bluetooth, so I think it has like a proprietary. Right, right. Um, but like, uh, a, you do pair a Wii U gamepad with a with a console. Yeah, right? it's possible. My guess hmm. is they're going to want to forget the Wii U ever existed. Totally, though, so. totally. I would just <laughs> if they make a Mario Maker two, right, it would be a nice thing to include. Like, and for people who really love making levels, yeah. Maybe there's still some function. I don't know. This is this is completely me talking out of my ass. Like I have not. I mean, they go back two two generations too with the the GameCube controllers and the adapter for right. you know, Smash and all right. that good yeah. stuff. So maybe you know a, a special Mario Maker uh, uh, creators edition yeah. and it has a cute totally. background. I don't know something like that. It comes with the cat paw. Okay, but, well know, then that's like know, the actual that's cat. That's what it is. There's it's, an that's actual the Joy-Con. Cat. Yes. One of the Joy-Cons the is the Joy-Con is a cat is paw. a cat paw. Yeah, that's how it works. The Joy-Con is a cat paw. I think we just activated somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Sleeper agent somewhere just Whoops. Uh if it's you, let us know. Yeah, just write yeah. in, like, comment, subscribe. <laughs> um I think we have just enough time for 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 a dip in the bucket, the old question bucket. Oh, yeah. Get in that bucket. Slop in that bucket. Just slop, yep, go right in. Pull out some slop. Little peek. Take a little peek. What? Give me a number. Someone. Someone. Give me twenty-four. A, not me. No. Twenty-four. Yeah, Danielle. You say twenty-four? It. Yeah, because it's the twenty-four. Oh wow, that was it's quick. a special day. That was like I thought you were just a big <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. Fan. Yeah, loves <laughs> loves that uh, Jack Bauer. I'm just excited. It's my first day. It's the twenty-fourth. It's good. You know. All right. That's true. So this comes in from Quinn from New Hampshire. Uh, okay. Good state. I have like a note, like a, what is this actual question, and then I have, I'll read the question. Right. <laughs> Quinn from New Hampshire writes. Have you ever been able to get a feel for the level of cooperation uh, those working on a story and those working on gameplay have at a large studio? Is there usually a particular hierarchy? I ask because of the complaint of, quote, little narrative dissonance uh, comes to mind when playing Deus Ex Human Revolution. It's clear that the writers are trying to say something meaningful, or maybe maybe they mean uh, Mankind Divided yeah, here. It could yeah. be either. Uh, it's clear that the writers are trying to say something meaningful about police brutality, racial tensions, etc., but the game lets you play however you want. Even if that meant murdering every augmented citizen you came across, nobody is saying anything about it in the next cutscene. I don't begrudge the game for allowing players freedom in their play, but I wonder what the point is of trying to lay a story that is so easily betrayed by player action on top of those systems. Uh, that's from Quinn in New Hampshire. What do you guys think? I think it depends on every single studio and uh-huh. how everything is run and all of that. Uh, but it 
this is kind of a perfect example, of course, of, of, you know, sort of that happening. And it's also, God, I feel like writers are brought in at weird times during projects, especially big projects. Like they might be brought in a little late or they might be brought in, you know, sort of while they're still developing ideas before they really know what the gameplay is like. Deus Ex is a particular history with like player freedom above all. So maybe that story might not have been 100% a right fit for that style of gameplay, but right, yeah, I think it definitely depends. Patrick, you do, you, do you have a sense of like what the general hierarchy is in terms of writers on games? I mean, it's 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 enti- it's so specific to mm-hmm. studios and and whether and and specifically how much they prioritize writing as part of a the the basic foundations of the game design. Right. So you'll have some studios uh, in which writers are brought in after designers uh, will come up with, you know, the team will come up with the set pieces for their game. Right, we want to have a train pieces. heist. We want to yeah. have a, a, right. a bank right. and, those, and that'll be rooted in, you know, these are the mechanics of our game. Here's where we think they'll be interesting and challenging and and fleshed out and provide players with different ways of, of, of engaging with them. And then you bring a writer in to figure out how to stitch all that together. I You know, I was talking uh, with... One of the writers, uh, or the head writer uh, on Horizon Zero Dawn, mm-hmm. you know, the next game from Guerrilla Games, um, in which for that game, uh, you know, he was really praising uh, Guerrilla because they brought in a writer from day one. Right. They wanted nice. a writer to be part of that process from the, be- the the inception of that game, breaking ideas, working with the design team. But uh, in the past, he had worked on all sorts of projects where that wasn't the case. Where maybe you're, uh, what it was. This is less the case now than it was, let's say, uh, 10 years ago. But it was very common for writers to be brought in at the very end of production. Like once once all these set pieces are put together, writers are brought in to come up with dialogue. And this is especially in an age when voice acting isn't as big of a thing where like you're really just stitching together the stuff at the last second. Um, he would work on projects where he'd write story, he'd write dialogue, he had you know a flow for the game. And then two months before ship, uh, well, this level's deleted, or this level's now being put at the beginning of the game when it was at the end of the game. Right. And so, as a writer, often uh, what you're tasked with is finding a way to make that work, even if there's like that, that has nothing to do with the story you put together. But then you have some of these developers, and I think this is very much more so now. I think, uh, I don't know if I would say it's the majority. Uh, but for a lot of these games, writing is now becoming more integral. Like, let's say, I, mean, I don't know this for a fact with Mafia 3, but my guess is that game couldn't have, uh, yep. you know, included yeah. its approach to to race um, and, and its setting and mechanics without that being a conversation with writers from the very beginning because that is core to the game. Some of the writing also just ref- is built to reflect what's happening in the world. There, again, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but there is a running story over the radio in that game that includes uh, a reference to, not just like, oh, Lincoln is doing this thing, but it treats treats it uh, with with uh, a degree of, of seriousness and, and gravity that there's a dude running around with guns and like is killing people and that ends up playing into another kind of mini story in a really smart way um, and that's something where where you, it's an example of something where like cognizant writers can adjust for the the freedom that players might have. Um, Deus Ex is tough because like it really wants to tell this really buttoned up cyberpunk politics story that doesn't really account for that time I jumped off a roof and used my like landing punch into the ground and killed 30 people like it's just never going to come up the agency I work for is never going to be like hey don't don't do that again like it just doesn't there's nothing there so like, why did you spend 30 minutes just shoving tranquilizer darts into the final boss? You could have just killed him a lot easier with a gun, you dolt. Yep, exactly. No no answer. Don't worry about it. Well, uh, And I think also, uh, there, I think there are a lot of games that like embrace that dissonance, right? Yep. Like, that's part of the, 
the fun of video games and why the story stuff is often such creates such dichotomy because telling a story often you know revolves around sort of a sort of consistent uh uh ideas uh that that players by very nature uh can buck and i think some games choose to embrace that and some games choose to work uh with it or around it and and often a lot of the fun i have in games is actually being contrary to the narrative that totally is presented yeah, dissonance and is it not it doesn't bother me it's actually part of the appeal dissonance is not a synonym for bad right dissonance can mean other Correct. things so we have have to wrap up. Yeah. Sadly, we have a very busy week oh ahead. Oh my god, do we ever. By this time next week we will launch waypoint.vice.com will be live. We will just be about to wrap up our 72-hour live stream. <sighs> Again, for info on that, you can go to our, our Twitter or our Facebook, twitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypointvice. You can follow us on Twitch now, twitch.tv slash waypoint. We're going to be doing um, some live streams every day this week in prep for the, the big 72-hour live stream. Make uh, sure the pipes work. Yeah, got to make yeah. sure those pipes are clean and working. <laughs> you know, make got to get them, got to get all the sput out. Yeah. You know? Please yeah. don't get hack the internet ready. on Friday. Please. Please don't hack the internet. <laughs> don't let the bad. internet work on Friday. <laughs> Patrick, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Patrick Klubik uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can find me um, at P. Klubik on Facebook. You can find me at Austin underscore Walker on Twitter and at Austin Walker Games on Facebook. Danielle, oh what about God. you? Oh, my God. You can find me at Danielle R.I. on Twitter, and I made a Facebook page, too. It's What's... Danielle Riendo Writer. Ooh, Let me spell oh, Riendo wow. to make it easy. Yeah, spell Riendo. R-I-E-N-D-E-A-U. Lots of vowels. It's all in there. Rhymes with Nintendo. It rhymes with Nintendo. That's how people know. That's how people... That's make how, it right. easy. Perfect. <laughs> thanks so much for, for uh, everything, audience. I don't know why. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for Thank listening. You. That's great. Thanks to Mitch uh, in the sound booth, who's doing our audio engineering. Thanks to Tim, who's our, our podcast producer. Thanks to Bowen for letting us use his track Miss You off of the EP Pale Machine. You can find info on Bowen at bo-en.info. Join us on Friday for what is going to be 72 hours of... Uh, beautiful madness. Beautiful madness. Yeah. Well, And we're still going to do the podcast, right? We're I just going to so. do it part of the stream? I think so. I think so. The, the current plan? I, I think. That's a great idea. I think. Yeah, kick it off live. Let's do it. And then maybe <laughs> end with it, too. We'll see how we're feeling. Yeah. All right, Internet. Wish us luck. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.